And uh, I'm just going to invite Andrew up. Some of you, um, come on up, Andrew. Some of you will know Andrew. Some of you won't know Andrew. And so I'm just going to, in many ways, interview him. Because the last time he's actually been with us, uh, a lot has changed in Andrew's life. Isn't yeah. that correct? Yeah. So you no longer live in Bournemouth. Where do you live? I live now in a small town. Uh, some of you may not have even heard of it in North Hampshire called Alton. And uh, uh, some of you will know it. I'm just looking for, they're not here, are they? Graham and Liz. Graham and Liz were, uh, or Liz was uh, part of our church for a number of years. So I lead a church called Harvest Church in Alton. Uh, it's our 70th birthday this year as a church. So we're, oh. you know, we've been going some time. Have you uh, been there for 70 years? I've been there for 70 years. years. No. No, 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 I'm not that old yet. <laughs> um, so, um, and uh, Emma and I have now been living up there for about 18 months. We've been leaving the church for two and a half years. Um, so that's good. We're enjoying it. So how many people live in Alton? Uh, Alton's town of about 18,000, 19,000, set to grow to 25,000 over the next five years. So going, uh, it's one of these sort of small towns on the edge of the national park, just outside of it, and therefore the, the government's growing it massively. Uh, so we've just got housing estates springing up all over the place. Great. And you've, you're married with two boys. What's their names? Okay, so uh, we've got a 20-year-old. I can't believe I've got a 20-year-old son who's in his second year at university up in Brunel. He's called Ed. And then I've got a 17-year-old whose final year of his A-levels called Kit. Great. And obviously you are here uh, from Commission. What is your role in Commission? As it's a really good question. <laughs> I, I often ask myself the same question. Um, so I'm part of... Uh, a uh, couple of the commission teams. Uh, I lead what we now call a hub, we used to call it a region of churches, with which your church is part. And that region of churches stretches from uh, Dorchester and Weymouth in the west up to Alton in the northeast, and pretty much everything in between. And uh, I also am part of what we call the commission international team, which oversees commission at an international level, where I have a particular responsibility for how we're developing into the Americas. So that's church planting into the Americas, uh, not just the USA, but also in Central, Latin, and South America as well. So if we want to go to Brazil, you are our man. Please come and talk to me. We, yes, we're, yes. We're, we are looking to plant in various parts of uh, the Americas at the moment, yeah. Yes, yes. Is, does anyone fancy going to Brazil? Not on holiday. Oh, no, yeah, no yeah, not no, on no. holiday. <laughs> I do like the football over there. But if you, you know, do come and talk to Andrew, great. Well, let's, Andrew's going to be preaching to us this morning, so let's pray for him uh, before we get started. Great. Father God, I just thank you for mm -hmm. Andrew. Father, I thank you that he's come and to serve us this morning. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through him, through all his preparations and through the things you say, even mm. on the spot now. Mm. And Lord God, I just pray for each one of us as well, that you, we would just have hearts and minds that are mm. receptive to what you're saying to us in today. Lord, in this season of life, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Tim. Well, it is. It's great to be uh, together with you today. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's lovely to be here in this new venue. This is my first time. I know you've been here for nearly a year. Uh, my first time with you in this venue. And uh, it's what a fantastic space. Lots of room for growth. And right in the heart of a, a really good part of the community, easily accessible for the broader community as well. Uh, as I drove down and came along the A35 and just turned off, I thought, wow, this is a fantastic location uh, for a church to be gathering. Uh, also, been down to your Turlin Moor Hub a couple of times, met with the elders down there. 
I love what's going on down there. I think that's a fantastic uh, facility God's giving you there to open up into that community. And actually, just as I start, I want to share a couple of words because uh, we believe God speaks prophetically. And uh, in situations like this, I would pray, God, would you speak to us uh, when we're gathered? And um, I felt uh, God reminded me that Poole is a town defined by bridges. And, uh, you know, if it, we, we are in the same news area as you. We're just on the borders of London and uh, South Today. But we get South Today news. And most of the time when there's news about Poole, uh, it's about the bridges. Um, no comment there, but, uh, and, uh, you yeah, that seems to be the, the, the prime time pool comes up. Oh, the Twin Sails Bridge isn't working again. And uh, I, I'm not sure it was because I'd seen anything like that recently, but I just felt God say, you're, defi- you're a town which is defined by bridges because you're separated by water. And, you know, you've got East and West Pool, or however you want to define it, uh, Hamworthy, etc., up to now uh, to the west, and then the, the core of the town over this side. And I felt God just uh, put in my spirit that He wants to talk to you as a church about being a bridge. And you know, bridges have lots of different functions, but I I feel that uh, part of this is about bridging communities, and that actually what you're doing over there is really significant in the pan- plans and purposes of God pool as a whole. Don't see it in isolation as something over there in Turlin Moor, but see it in the plans and purposes of God for your town, for pool. I believe there is a bridging of cultures which God wants to do with you as a church that really it's a demonstration of what it is to be one new man in Christ. Because, you know, in the world we separate people. We separate people by their wealth, by where they live, by what they have, by where they've been educated, by what jobs they have, by their nationality, by their background, by their culture. And I feel there's something here of God for you about actually building bridges in culture, because actually in one new man in Christ, there is a bridging of communities. There's a bridging of culture and uh, that's what you're called to do you're called to be a bridge for your town and of course bridges enable people to uh, connect bridges enable communities to flourish i come from a town called bedford originally and bedford was called bedford because there was a a good bed to the river and uh, there was a uh, it was a ford and there was a good bed and that's why bedford existed and And yet the river always separated the town until a bridge was built. And actually, you know, as you build bridges, I believe you're called to build bridges in your communities and across your community. And what that brings is uniting. But that uniting's got to be in Christ. It starts with being one community in Christ. So I just want to encourage you with that. Um, The other one was uh, this. I'm not quite sure who Bally is, but I have a feeling you're Bally right at the back. Is that correct? Hi, Bally. I'm Bally. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a word I've got for you then. Repent. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Bally, I enjoyed listening to your preach the, uh, the other day. I, I went on your, your church website and was listening to a couple of preachers, and you preached in the new year. And uh, can I just ask you to stand? 
I feel God wants to just come and touch you with his spirit even now. No, no, you're, you're fine just there. But I feel there is, um, there's a blessing of God for you and for who you are. It's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And I believe that God just wants to even come and touch you with his spirit right now. The spirit who affirms in us that we're sons. We are loved sons of almighty God. And in that, that is totally sufficient. Everything we need. It's out of identity we live. It's out of identity that we do everything that God calls us to. And it's that identity of a loved child of God. And I just want to pray for you if that's okay. And please don't hear this as a rebuke. It's not that you've got this wrong, but I feel there's more God wants to give you. So I ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and touch Valley? Would you remind him how loved he is in you, of your amazing grace, Father God, and that uh, of that sonship, just as it, uh, it talks about in Galatians and Romans, of the Spirit in us who cries out, Abba, Father. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill Valley afresh with your spirit, Lord God. Remind him of who he is in you. Let his delight be above everything else in you as a son of God. Now bless him, Lord Jesus. Bless him with all that he needs in this season in life. Be his strength, be his shield. Be the source of his delight. Let him know great contentment and delight in you and be known intimacy with your Holy Spirit leading him and guiding him and directing him. Father God, bless him, Lord Jesus. And I pray that blessing as it falls on him will uh, flow through to his wife, to his children, to his household, that they, will be, that they would know that they are blessed in Christ Jesus and in turn be a blessing to their friends, to their neighbours, to their fa wider family, to this church community, in their workplaces, in their schools, in their homes. In Jesus' almighty name, thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, my friend. Be blessed. Okay. Um, I wonder what the weirdest thing you've seen is perhaps this year. I appreciate the year is young. What are we, 20 days into the year? Maybe you've not seen very much weird yet. Um, I had a, an odd experience the other day. I was driving on a dual carriageway uh, near where we live in, in North Hampshire. And uh, it was a section of road where you could see both sides of the dual carriageway. And I'm so glad I did because in my peripheral vision as I was driving down this, I was in the fast lane, I was doing 70, I wasn't speeding, I hasten to add. Uh, I noticed running out of the trees on the far side of the far carriageway what looked like a hound or a wolf. Uh, I mean, it was big. It wasn't, you know, Hound of the Baskervilles. Think Hound of the Baskervilles. Uh, and it ran right the way across the other side of the dual carriageway. And I, I, I started to think, uh-oh, I think that's coming to my side of the barrier. And, you know, you had the metal barrier down the middle of the road. And so I started to break. I was in the process of overtaking another car at the time. And I was thinking, I hope they're getting the clue because I'm slamming on the anchors and I don't know whether they've seen this. And they must be thinking, what on earth is he playing at? Because he's overtaking us and suddenly he's like just virtually stopping. And thankfully they started to slow down too. As this really 
big dog. I mean, it was probably this tall. Uh, just he squashed himself under the central reservation and belted across the road. And I, I think he must have escaped from his owner. I haven't got, I'm not very good with dogs. I haven't got a clue what type of dog it was. It was grey and it had white splotches on, but that doesn't really mean very much. Uh, and, and, you know, there's an advert on TV, a car insurance advert on TV, I don't, you know, trying to describe that. And that immediately just flashed to my mind. I thought, you know, if we'd hit this thing, how would we have described it? And would they have believed us? Um, uh, I, you know, and it's just one of those weird moments where it just felt a little bit surreal. And yet at the same point in time, there was a sense of, thank you, God, for helping me to see that. Because otherwise, without doubt, I would have hit this thing, and it was clearly big and heavy at quite a high speed. And uh, there would have been probably quite a nasty accident. So either I or the other car would have probably hit it, etc. I say that just to, by way of introduction to the passage we're going to read in a moment. And uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Daniel in chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you, you may want to get it out. I'm actually going to summarize the first half of chapter 5 of the book of Daniel and then read from the second part of it. And uh, it's got to be one of the weirdest accounts that you find in the scriptures because what's happening is um, we have got a party going on. King Belshazzar, son of Nebuchadnezzar, who had captured the Israelites and brought them uh, up to Babylon, is throwing a party. And Belshazzar has become king, and uh, as part of this party, he decides to use the goblets which were taken from the temple of God as, uh, to drink from. And he's in the midst of this party. They're all enjoying themselves, and he then utters some weird words. He praises the gods of gold and silver and iron and the, and the such like. In other words, he doesn't acknowledge who Almighty God is, he praises these gods, and in the middle of this party, suddenly, a hand appears. Now, that's probably a bit of a party killer, particularly when the hand then starts to write on the wall. I don't know about how you would feel if you were in that situation, but I reckon that feels pretty high as a weird thing to happen. You know, you're enjoying a party. Uh, maybe you're a little bit tipsy, and you... You, you, you notice it and think, is anybody else seeing what I'm seeing? Have I drunk more than I thought I should have drunk? But this hand appears and starts writing on the wall. And it's not writing anybody understands. Nobody gets what the words are. And it's like, okay, this is really weird. And yet we talk about the hand of God. This is, this is often what it's referring back to. It's like God comes and visits and reveals something of his heart and who he is in, in this place of pagan worship, effectively, where Belshazzar's worshipping gods of iron and stone and bronze and gold and silver and all these other things. And it's like, whoa, what on earth's going on? And uh, not surprisingly, Belshazzar's a bit shaken by this. One imagines the party stops probably quite quickly. And Belshazzar, even though that he knows of the existence of Daniel because he was, would have been around when Nebuchadnezzar was king, you know, he's the son of the king, 
so he would have seen what happened and completely forgotten about Daniel. But the queen reminds Belshazzar of uh, Daniel. And uh, we're going to sort of join the, the account at that point. So if you have your Bibles with you, I will be reading it out anyway. Daniel uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Daniel is brought into the king's presence. The king uh, promises him uh, wealth and status in the kingdom, third highest person in the kingdom, if he can explain what has happened, because none of the other uh, 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 wizards and whatever else that uh, he has in his community, uh, so-called prophets, are able to interpret what's happened. And Daniel says this, he answers the king in verse uh, uh, 17, you may keep your gifts for yourself, give your rewards to someone else. I love that. I think that's so, so strong, isn't it? I'm not after status. I couldn't care less. I'm a child of the king of kings. Why do I need status? <laughs> you think you can offer me anything? <laughs> Have a, ha, laugh at it. <laughs> Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nation and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all of this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which, you, uh, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his, life your, uh, in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment. If you're Belshazzar, and Daniel's just told you all that, assuming Daniel didn't know that all that had happened, you've probably got his attention at that point, haven't you? It's like, okay, somebody's just been reading my email. Uh, you know, how on earth do you know all that, that happened? And so then... Daniel continues, this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. This is what those words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Now, I wonder what on earth went through, Dan uh, through Belshazzar's mind at that point. Would it have been a, a rat's moment? <laughs> Maybe I've got this wrong. And of course, that word's repeated. It says Mene twice. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You're really starting to get a message at this point, aren't you? Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. I wonder what on earth went through Belshazzar's mind at that point. Oh, goodness me. 
Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That says something for Belshazzar, that he still, even though he didn't like the message, he still honored what he actually had said he would do. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Sobering, isn't it? God speaks through his prophet. Everything changes. So, Father, we ask as we consider your word today, let it not just bounce off, but let it take deep root in our hearts, please. That we would be a people of your word, shaped and defined by your word. Oh, Father, help us, Lord, to grab hold of it. Help us, Lord, to offer it good soil so that it will take root and it will grow well. It will shape our lives all to the glory and honor of your name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So you may be thinking, what is Andrew going to preach on? The hand of God writing on the wall. What's the theme here? Why why on earth is he preaching from Daniel chapter 5? If you're really switched on and you worked out which church I'm leading, you may have even been on our website and seen actually we've recently, or we are, doing a series of Daniel. And you may be thinking, ah, he's just recycling a preach. There would be an aspect of truth of that, but only a very small aspect because what I felt as I was preparing for today was, actually, I was preaching this, a very similar message to our church last week. I felt God get hold of me and say, actually, this is a really important message for churches which we often don't talk about. And the subject I want to talk on is humility. And do you know, I then started to just do a bit of research and try and work out the last time I preached on humility. And it was an awfully, awfully, awfully long time ago. We're talking more than a decade. And I thought, oh, goodness. And it's like one of those subjects. And then I looked in my notes of where I'd received teaching, and I couldn't find that I'd ever received teaching on humility. And I felt God say and put it in my spirit and say, actually, Andrew, you need to take this to churches you serve and share it, because actually this is really important, that we have an understanding of what humility is. And so that's actually why... I'm preaching on it, not because I'm recycling a preach, albeit I will be using aspects of what I used last week because that's the word of God and you can't just change it. But the real reason I'm preaching on humility is I feel it is a foundation we often assume in our church, but we would very, very rarely actually address and speak about. And I would like to suggest to you that actually it's a really important foundation. We often talk about our values, values of grace, values of uh, the spirit, values of things like that. They're all great. And, you know, when I was listening to uh, Tim and uh, the other guys preaching last week, uh, listening online and uh, understanding about lengthen and strengthen, etc., I thought, yeah, those, those are all really, really good. It's, it's great vision. But actually, if we haven't got a humility before God, we're, gonna not mi- we're not going to make it. Actually, godly humility is so important. 
It is a core foundation. You know, it's so easy for pride to creep in in church life. Pride can creep in because of how many people we're gathering, because of the building we meet in, because of the size of our latest offering or the number of people we had which came to our Christmas meetings or because of how good our kids' work is or whatever, whatever, whatever. Pride can creep into our own lives about church or we're the best church in town. We're doing this, we're doing that. We've got our theology sorted, unlike the other churches, is the assumed comment behind that. We don't actually say it in that way, but those are all signs of pride. And so understanding who we are, coming back and gazing and and getting a good perspective on God and who he's made us to be, understanding why we need to be humble is really important. And so that's what we're going to look at from this passage Um, so let's have a look verse 23 I just want to draw us to verse 23 to begin with so the first thing I want to start with is humility, first point starts with understanding who God is verse 23 instead so this is uh, Daniel speaking to Belshazzar instead you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven that's quite a statement right at the beginning there. You've had the goblet from his temple brought to you, and you, your, you, your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from you. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the Lord who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. I just want to remind us, let's, let's always remember who God is. He's the one who holds your life in his hand. He could snuff it out even now. You may be the fittest, most healthy person on earth. That is not going to stop God bringing your life to an end when he chooses to. You could be the least healthy person on earth. And that is not going to stop God from sustaining your life until he calls you home. Now, please, within that, we have personal responsibility and we need to be sensible and all the other things and you know, eat, eat our veg and our different colours and all that sort of stuff. But actually, it's God who sustains life. It's God who determines our days. Not, not how we eat or any of those other things. Sure, we can be silly and, or even stupid about how we look after our bodies and that may have a profound effect. But fundamentally, our lives are in God's hands. think God is? Do you see him as almighty God? Do you see him as your creator and sustainer? I loved our worship this morning because a brilliant choice of songs from for me and for what we were going to bring. They were all focused on almighty God. They were reminding us of the majesty of God. (laughs) They were reminding us of the rule of God, the reign of God, the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God wonderful, meaty songs to chew on, to remind us that actually, fundamentally, who I am? I'm God's creation. I'm in his hands. I've got, I've got no grounds for pride. I've got no grounds for ego. Everything that I am comes from him. 
And that's just not, that's not just rhetoric. That needs to be our very, at the core of our hearts, of our very existence, is that sense of, wow, look at who God is. Almighty God. Creator and sustainer of the world, of me, of my life, of your life, of each of our lives. He literally does hold our lives in his hand. And he gets to choose what happens. And the call, the challenge from Almighty God is, are you going to honor me? Are you going to honor me and acknowledge me in this way? Or are you going to worship other things? Belshazzar and crew decided to worship the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Which you can't even see. Which aren't able to do anything. And the reality of the world today is we've got the most astonishing a range of gods to worship. And a lot of them are incredibly subtle. Whether it's materialism or consumerism, whether it's um, uh, self-identity, the whole thing which is very common amongst um, our children and youth now. Well, you identify yourself. You decide who you are. Rubbish. That is a complete and total lie. It really is. No, God tells you who you are. God defines you. God made you. You can't tell God who you are. There are some phenomenal, you know, yeah, I think, I think sometimes we think, oh, well, idols and gods, those, those are the, you know, those are Hinduism or Buddhism or other faiths. But what we don't recognize is the world we live in has faiths which don't get called faiths, but it's, it's trust, it's faith expressed in what I can achieve, my net worth, my home, my job, my career, my identity. Those are all modern-day gods. Those are all things people worship today. And so if we're going to see God for who he is, or rather as we see God for who he is, the creator and sustainer of the world, our loving heavenly father, great I am, holy, jealous for our attention, for our, our worship, our devotion, as we see him for who he is, then we've got a choice. Am I going to honor him for who he is? Am I going to submit myself to him? Is he going to become the focal point of my worship? Am I going to lay these other things aside? Belshazzar and crew didn't. And look what happened to them. That's not a threat, by the way. That's just reality. If you choose to worship other gods, they will fail you. They will let you down. They are powerless in comparison to Almighty God. So humility starts with understanding who God is. And as we understand who he is, we come to a revelation of who we are. And I'm nothing. I'm a bag of bones and bits and pieces which God's breathed into. And given life to. He's the one who knit me together in my mother's womb, Scripture tells me. He's the one who's put his spirit in me. He's the one who's breathed life into me. And if I understand who God is, and therefore who I am, we find a right humility. Because this isn't about being ever so humble. 
in a wrong sense. It isn't about going, oh, well, I'm just nothing and I can't do anything at all. Because actually, if we understand who we are as children of Almighty God, as sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we also understand that we have authority. We have responsibility. We have the Spirit living in us. If we've been baptized in the Spirit, we can know him leading us and guiding us and directing us and empowering us and giving us gifts and enabling us to live life for the glory and honor of the King. And if we understand that, we also therefore understand that we're called to be and empowered to be world changers. And that all starts with seeing afresh who Almighty God is. Because he's the one which frames everything else. He's the one who defines us. Friends, humility starts with understanding who God is. Do you get that? As we understand who God is, as we enjoy him, as we worship him, as we find contentment in him, he defines who we are and empowers us and enables us to be all those things he's called us to be and to do. The second thing is this. It's a heart issue. Do you know you can see the greatness of God you can understand it. You can do studies in the Word. You can chew on it. But the heart needs to get it resolved. There's a heart issue here. There's a heart issue of, am I prepared to not just understand who God is, but to recognize who God is? To submit myself to him, to say, yes, I recognize you and therefore I've got to do something about this. And that is my heart being bent to God's way, to submission to him. Here in the Old Testament, there are multiple passages, multiple, multiple passages, Deuteronomy 8, 2 Kings 22, Psalm 55, 2 Chronicles 34, and a whole load more which you could find which refer to God humbling people to see what's in their heart. And humility in the heart are linked time after time after time in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, we need to understand humility is a heart issue. It's not just a, well, I'm going to make myself more humble. Actually, that can lead to pride, funnily enough. But it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Who, how's, your, how's your heart today? How's your heart? Is it bent towards God? Is it submitted to him? Is it being shaped by him? Or are you in control of it? Are you defining it? What's going on? What's the heart of, heart of the issue here? Is it soft and tender to God? Or is it, um, I sort myself out, I'm okay, thank you. God, I, I acknowledge you exist, but that's as far as it goes. You can have this much of my life, but nothing more. He's not after our heart. He's not after our action. He couldn't care less about our sacrifices of action, etc. He's after our hearts. It's a message you'll find through and through the scriptures. Heart relationship. How soft is your, our heart today before God? Is he, is he the one who's defining it? Are we soft and tender? Are we in submission to him? 
It's when we submit ourselves to him, not just acknowledge who he is, but when we submit ourselves to him, where we go, no, I want you to define me. I want you to define my sense of worth. I want you to define my sense of purpose, my sense of value. What's our hearts like? Can I just add on to this? I, I just felt the Spirit of God stirring something in me. Sometimes in life, we can experience disappointment. In fact, I say sometimes, most of us, if not all of us, have and will. The risk or the, the issue can be when we feel disappointed in God, we stop trusting. And our hearts become hardened. And we can feel disappointed in God because we prayed for something and he didn't do it. We can feel disappointed in God because stuff went wrong. Somebody got sick or died or uh, what we felt was success didn't happen. And we thought God had promised. Maybe you even were holding on to what you believe to be a word from God. And it never happened. A word about something precious or dear to us. Maybe about a loved one, a child, a spouse, a parent. Maybe about our future. Maybe about something we've got our hopes built on. Well, God, you, you said, and it's not happened. In fact, the opposite's happened. It's very easy for disappointment to get a hold. And of course, in disappointment, then we stop trusting and we pull our hearts back from God. I, I feel today, God wants to free some people from disappointment and bring you back. Now, I don't know your situation and circumstances, but what I do know is this, is that God is faithful, as we sang, that God is good and he's just and he's perfect in all his ways. You see, as soon as we go back to who God is, we get a right perspective. And even if things didn't come the way you thought they should, even the way you believed God was going to do them, I want to tell you this, God is good. He is just. He is faithful. He is perfect in all his ways. And you can continue to trust him. But it is finally third point of choice. You see, we can see who God is. We can, understand, we can soften our hearts, but actually there is a choice we also need to make. A choice to walk in humility before him. Micah 6.8. What does God require of us? To act justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly before your God. That's a choice. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. I choose to walk humbly before God. Even when I don't understand things. Even when things don't go according to plan. See, humility is, is a choice. It's a choice as we see the greatness of God, as we soften our hearts before him, we then have a choice to make. Will I walk in the way of humility? Or will I pursue my own agenda? Will I pursue my way instead? Paul, writing to the church in Rome, um, in Romans 12.3, says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you should. In other words, walk humbly before God. Get a right perspective on yourself. 
who you are in Christ. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, 5, we're told to clothe ourselves with humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud. That's a message which you find through and through the scriptures. God opposes the proud. What do you clothe yourself with today? You know, as you get up in the morning, and I don't know what, what your morning routine is, I have a shower and then I get dressed, I put on my clothes. You're probably glad I did. <laughs> Been arrested otherwise. Um, what do you clothe yourself with? Do you clothe yourself with humility? Do you, do, do you choose to put it on? First thing in the morning, do you choose to say, yeah, I, I want to remind myself who God is. I want to keep a soft and tender heart before him. but I choose to put on a godly humility. That doesn't make us a doormat. Because as we've already established, if we understand who we are in Christ, we know we've also got authority to bring the kingdom of God. But it starts with him, not with what I do. What's your choice today? Are you going to clothe yourself with humility? Are you going to get God's perspective? Friends, I think what I heard of your vision, and I'm meeting with the elders uh, after, after this to talk further about it and understand more of what's going on. Sounds fantastic. I love what God's doing amongst you in Turlinmore. I think that, that's, that's wonderful. I love your being here. I think this is a great location. I think God's going to bless you here. But you've got to approach this with humility. We've got to approach the King of Kings with humility. We've got to understand who he is, remind ourselves and encourage ourselves of who God is. That he's good, that he's faithful, that he's great, that he has all power and authority. Yes, absolutely. And then, then remind ourselves who we are. We are sons of God. We are children of God. We have authority. We have responsibility. We have purpose to bring the kingdom of God to each and every one of our uh, situations throughout our lives, not just on a Sunday. <laughs> Sundays is a small drop in the ocean. It's through every day of the week in our workplace, in our home, where we live, in the school, in college, wherever it may well be. So we have to keep our hearts tender before Almighty God. And we need to make choices, therefore. Godly choices in the light of that. What are you going to choose today? What are you going to choose this week? What are you going to choose next month when perhaps the, it gets tougher, harder? What are you going to choose when perhaps what we hoped was going to happen doesn't happen and disappointment stands at the door and beckons you in? choices we need to make. Friends, we need to build on good foundations. Can I encourage you? Build on godly humility. Build on godly humility. Make that choice to clothe yourself with humility. To walk humbly before God. Knowing that he is about a great work in you and has great plans and purposes for you, and in so doing, the full and beyond. I'd like to pray for you as a church, if that's okay, if you would like to receive prayer. What I want to do is invite you to stand at this point. If you're saying, hold on, before you stand, 
If you're saying, I want to walk humbly before God. Now that may need to start with, oh God, I realize actually I've allowed wrong pride in. That may need to start with actually repentance. That may need to start for you with a sense of, God, I've not understood who you've made me to be. I believe lies about who I am, which means I've not acted out of who, who you've called me to be, who you've made me to be. That may be time to say, ego's got to die. Ego, by the way, uh, if you want to make an acronym out of ego, is edge God out. Ego's got to die. Pride's got to die. So today, friends, I'd like to invite you to make that decision and say, yeah, we as a church are going to walk humbly before God. That's a choice. I can't make that decision for any one person in this room other than myself. But I want to invite you, if you want to make that decision today, if you want to say, yes, I'm going to deal with pride, I'm going to get a good understanding of who God is, I'm going to make godly choices, keep my heart tender before him, then please, would you stand with me now and I'd love to pray for you. I think where we need to start, well done in standing, thank you. Where we need to start is in that place of repentance. If you know that you need to, just before God now, deal with some past stuff, deal with wrong attitudes, deal with a hardened heart, deal with a, uh, bad choices about how you see yourself before Almighty God, to address ego, to address uh, a lack of understanding of who you are. Let's just take a moment to be quiet before Almighty God, and then I'll pray for us. people said amen amen it's been great to be with you i think tim's ready i can see he's got the mic in his hand so i'm going to back out at this point and tim can lead us in our next step. thanks thanks andrew what a challenging message really you know i'm sitting there challenged by it all and um i just want to just say a couple of things thank you andrew for sharing that message and also thank you for those words at the beginning as well i think there's significant words for us in terms of bridges and things like that and for each one of us uh just want to, um, you know, we're going to sing our final song, but, you know, if you, I don't want anyone to leave this place without wanting prayer from this. And uh, when we uh, have tea and coffee, you know, there's people around with lanyards around, Blue Lanyards Ministry Team. You know, do go and speak to them if you want prayer. You know, if you're, if you're feeling disappointed, you know, you're feeling that you just want someone to just pray with you about what was said about clothing yourself in uh, humility. You know, these are challenging words if you think about it. Like, you know, it's a real challenge, everyday life. So don't leave this place without receiving prayer if you would like prayer on those things. Um, but thank you. Let's sing our last song together before we uh, share some drinks together as well.